Episode two of Book of Basketball 2.0 is brought to you by State Farm. Just like basketball, the game of life is unpredictable. Some players end up in the Hall of Fame pyramid, some don't. Many times, we never expect who made it. Talk to a State Farm agent and get a teammate who can help you navigate the unexpected. You know what Steve Kerr never expected? Taking the Warriors job in 2014 and finishing 207 and 39 over the next three regular seasons. Yeah, that happened. And I bet he never expected that he'd go from potentially winning the 2019 title to potentially getting a top three 2020 draft pick. That might happen too. Again, life is unpredictable. Talk to a State Farm agent today about combining your home and auto insurance and get a teammate who can help you navigate the unexpected. Meanwhile, don't miss Chadwick Boseman and 21 Bridges, produced by the directors of Avengers Endgame. This action thriller shuts down the 21 Bridges in and out of Manhattan for the manhunt of the century. I think I am the audience for this movie. Boseman is joined by an incredible ensemble cast, including Sienna Miller, Taylor Kitsch, and no relation, J.K. Simmons, my guy. 21 Bridges, only in theaters November. 22nd. We're also brought to you by one of the last good websites, theringer.com, as well as the Ringer Podcast Network, which is where you can find the Bill Simmons Podcast, the Rewatchables, Binge Mode, Ryan Rossillo, David Chang, and nearly 30 terrific Ringer podcasts, including our newest one, this one. We discussed the secret in our first episode, and now the man who understands it better than anyone, Steve Kerr, eight-time champ, future Hall of Famer, someone who had no idea that his warrior season was about to fall apart when we taped this three weeks ago. Sorry, Steve. Anyway, my name is Bill Simmons. Here we go. All right, so 10 years ago, I write this book of basketball and it's built around this premise of the secret. And I actually called Steve Kerr. We had some emails. You're in the book. You would put a lot of thought into the secret. And now over the course of the last decade, you coach the most scrutinized basketball team we've ever had. And you're just in, in the tornado right. of this. So after living that for five years, has your, has your feelings about the secret changed? Uh, I would say nothing's changed. Um, maybe a team's ability to deal with the media, with modern media, and the number of uh, possible assaults that that are coming your way. Um, maybe that makes a team more vulnerable, and maybe it means the secret is is actually even more important because the secret is, you know, basically you're talking about chemistry and uh, the ability of a team to kind of become better than just the sum of its parts, however you want to describe that. So maybe it's more difficult today than it's ever been, but it's the same concept still applies. Um, you know, there's a, a group of teams that are super talented, but which one is the one that puts it all together and for whatever reason um, finds a way to just rise above and become this special group? To me, that's you know, that's what the secret is, but how do you define that? And that's, I guess that's kind of what you, what you wrote about in your book and what we talked about all those years ago. 
I guess the biggest thing that's changed in the league is just the players jumping around. Yeah. And you think like I was going back and reading all the stuff I wrote in these teams that had just been through wars for years and years yeah. and years and years. And some guys would change like Detroit, you know, Rick Mahorn gets drafted in the expansion draft. He has to go and you have to, yeah. you know, Dantley gets traded, things like that. But for the most part, the core of the teams right. are the same. Even you had your Bulls teams in the 90s, you still had Michael and Scotty there basically for 12 years. The other pieces are moving around. Now it's like, it feels like five years is kind of about as long of a shelf life as yeah. any of these teams are going to have, right? And even five years, you kind of have to get lucky. You know, yeah. like we got lucky with the cap spike, which allowed us to sign Durant. Um, but I agree with that. I mean, if you look at the game... Uh, 25 years ago, you had more teams that were um, intact for longer. Um, you, you know, you did have the cases of, you know, Kareem in Milwaukee just wanting to live in a different city, holding out and saying, I'm out of here. Charles in Philadelphia. So, there, you know, there was uh, the occasional superstar who would change teams. But for the most part, you know, Bird, Magic, Michael, guys like that, they were staying. And so the core stayed intact longer, and I think it gave teams a little bit more of a window. I mean, the, the Lakers were relevant. They won the title in 1980, Magic's rookie yeah. year. And then I believe they won again in 88 and then lost in 89. That's a whole decade with the same core. I mean, they even go all the way through to the 91 finals. So you're right. talking that's right. 12 years, they win yeah. five, they make like nine or 10 finals. Yeah. And magic, magic is basically the the everything else changes around magic. Yeah, but you still have magic. And Kareem was there till eighty nine. Yeah. yeah, so you had two of the top ten players of all time with the same team for a whole decade. Um, that just doesn't that doesn't happen. Do you think so? You could feel it. I remember talking last year, and you you knew the Durant thing. It could be the last year, and it was the shadow that hung over the team. And you think about like that 2016-17 team, his first season, which is now the most underrated team in the last 25 <laughs> years. The 67 and 15 regular season. Puncher's chance of going undefeated in the playoffs. It was actually a lot closer than I remember. It came down to that crazy Cavs game where you didn't get right. a, you didn't get any calls really for the whole game. Um they got hot. Yeah, they made 20. Yeah, they made a bunch of threes. Yeah. Like that was pretty fluky. Um and you think like, all right, we've reached offensive perfection with this right. team. But you know, because you've been in the league for all these years, the dynamics are going to change. Yeah. Things are going to shift. Now we've won. Everybody's accomplished what they've wanted right. to accomplish. Now I have to deal with this, 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 or this. Are you thinking about that even like at the parade? Not yet. Not yeah. yet. Um, and I didn't feel that shift until midway through the following season. So the 17, eight, no, let's see. So the 17, 18 season. 17, 18 season. Yeah, the back-to-back yeah, -back season. Mid, about midway through that year, we could feel a shift where it just, we lost the, the, the purity uh, of what we were trying to accomplish. Um, and it's just, you know, that happens um, – that can happen f for any number of reasons with a team. Um, but that's universal and that goes back. Well, wait, so what, So why do you think that happened? I mean, because I, I was doing all the podcasts with KD at that point. Yeah. And I felt like something was shifting in him that yes. season. Yeah. And 
even when you're going back, like my theory, I'm not sure if I'm right, but I think he thought when he won the title that first year and he really outdueled LeBron. Yeah. Yeah. I think leaving that series, people were like, wow, that guy was just better than LeBron right. in the finals. And he thought that was going to be it. He never, that's it. Oh, KD made right. the right move. And instead people were like, fuck that guy. Yeah. You, you said, we're still not giving it to you. And I think I could feel it in him in the interviews. This, this kind of, what else do I have to do? I, think, I just went toe-to-toe with LeBron James and I, I won. I think you nailed it. You, you nailed it. it. It really came down to uh, the, the same reason we got Kevin in the first place was the reason we lost him. You know, he was restless. Uh, maybe he wanted to play a little different style. His first year with us, he was a sponge, and he would ask uh, questions constantly. What about this situation? You know, what do I do here? It's a very different style of play, and and he was playing with different players. And so I think he embraced it. He enjoyed it, and that team was unstoppable between the the, the ball movement and the off-ball off movement of cutting players and guys who were setting screens for each other with the isolation brilliance of Kevin. The team was unstoppable. I looked at in the playoffs, they were 56 a game, him and Curry. Yeah. And both like 45% from three. It was basically like a computer has made this combo for modern basketball. We were getting great shots um, every time down the floor because they were, everybody was so unselfish and, and so gifted. You know, Clay had some monster games where everybody's concerned with Steph and and KD as they should be, and then all of a sudden Clay's coming off a weak side pin. We had so many smart players too, guys like Andre Higadala, Sean Livingston, David West, uh, Zaza, screeners, ball movers, guys who understood how to play. So to get back to Kevin, you know, the following year in 17, 18, we lost some of that, and it started to drift. And I felt like I felt like Kevin started to drift, and my feeling was. You know, he started to get restless. Like this is this is all there is. You know, we we won the title last year. We're rolling again this year. Um, but whatever it is, I'm searching for. I'm uh, it's I'm still not finding it. Right? You took him to dinner, right? Oh, we 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 had tons of meals together. Um, we we had a great relationship. Um, we had uh, we have a lot of team dinners. Um, it's one of the things we really try to do with the Warriors is. Uh, Get a lot of time together off the floor. You still know that from Popovich, though. Totally, yeah, totally. It's pure thievery. Cheap, cheaper wine, you know. <laughs> nowhere, nowhere close to the wine list that Pop had. But um, no, but we we um, we had a really good thing, and then it just you could just feel it start to slip. And I don't know if it was what you mentioned. You know, Kevin felt like he was now the king of the NBA, but nobody was recognizing him for that. He dominated LeBron in the in those finals. I think he, I could feel him just in various interactions, really frustrated with that. Yeah, yeah. Be almost like, I'm just never going to get the credit for this. Right, right. And I thought I would, right. and now I'm not. Yeah. So now what? And I think he probably had some stuff going on personally too. But, you know, I, I think the scrutiny on that team too, the day in, day out of it, and a tweet goes – He's, he tweets one thing, and that becomes a whole day right. event, and it's just day right. after day after day after day of it. He's, and, he and seemed he, unhappy to me by the by the end of that second season. Yeah, he was. He was, and um, and you know whether it was something somebody tweeted or just everybody reading 
the tweets that are out there, the scrutiny that comes our way um, just with modern media is difficult to avoid. And so I think Kevin heard all the, the, the stuff, which was really unfair, you know, about him leaving OKC and joining, you know, Steph and Clay. And, and so he, he almost started to feel separate from the, the core group, but not because of anything that happened internally with our team, yeah. but because of the outside uh, noise from fans and media and, and social media and all that. So that, that was the year there, there was a, uh, the beginning of a drift where it just felt like Kevin was starting to uh, disconnect. And that was the year when Houston took us to seven games and we barely hung on uh, to beat them in the Western Conference Finals. But ironically, that's where the backbone of that team really showed in those last two Houston games. Where, you know, I, I feel like a team... And this is like goes back to the whole secret thing, but and it goes back to chemistry and reps and the relationships. But a team's going to hit a point where everybody kind of looks at each other and either they're going to fight for it or they're not going to fight for it. Right, right. And I think in those two Houston games, I could you you could see you guys fighting for it. I remember the Bulls in '98. There's a couple moments in that Pacers series where it was like, all right, we could actually roll over here, and and people would respect. Yeah. But it was just like we're not rolling over. Yeah. That's right. And that's, I think that's uh, a good comparison because uh, game six of that Houston series at home, I think we were down 18 in the first half, maybe 17. Yeah. Uh, uh, game seven, we were down 10 at half. Uh, we, we were both games, six and seven, we had uh, double digit deficits in the second half. And we came through with both of them. And, and I agree. I think um, our championship uh, experience and, uh, the backbone of what we had, the culture of, of what our guys had built together. I think it, it overcame any, any other weakness uh, and we were able to push through. And then, you know, last year it, uh, the divide got um, at times unbearable and it was just, uh, you know, really, really difficult. It was a difficult season for everybody. It wasn't as much fun. We still almost got it done. Um, and well, you also had a finals. couple moments where you have, you know, KD goes out and you have that Houston game and people are like, oh, yeah, they're done. I was like, this is this is crazy that people, this, if anything, this will be an FU game for all these dudes who've <laughs> right. been there for the whole decade. But I thought that was a championship game. Yeah. And that's where I would, that's what I worry about with the league. If we're just, everybody's going to switch teams every two years. Right. Is, are we still going to have games like that? Yeah. Where you have yeah. Curry and Quay and Draymond and those guys are like, and Iggy. Yeah. And those guys are like, hey, man, we've been doing this for five years. Don't write us off yet. Yeah. Watch this. Yeah. yeah. Well, we even have that anymore. And that's such a big part of, of basketball. It's one of the reasons the game is so appealing. When you get five guys who know each other, know each other's tendencies, and, and build a, a trust and a, a, a fortitude. And that game, if I look back at five, these last five years, and we have – the very best record in the history of the league over five years. We tied yeah. the Celtics. Uh, but in those five years, if I had to say what's my favorite game, it would be game six in Houston wow. last year. Yeah. Uh, for, Do you, is it one of those things where you know it beforehand? You're like, this is – I like the vibe. Um, it, it was I – I think you're too, you're, you're too wrapped up in it as a coach to have a sense for, like, I, li I like the vibe and, and, you know, I like the circumstances and, you know, this is where we're going to do this or that. You just, you just prepare for the game. Yeah. After 
when it's over, you realize, holy shit, like this defines our team. This game defines what, what our guys are about. We had a, a possession late in the game that sealed it, basically, where remember Steph and Draymond were running that side yeah. pick and roll over and over again, and Steph was going nuts. He had 33 in the second half, I think. And the final dagger was, you know, Houston ad adjusted. They double teamed Steph. He hits Draymond in the pocket. They come over and rotate to Draymond. He hits Andre along the baseline, and Andre kicks it back to Clay for a three pointer. And that that play to me defines what our team has been about for the last five years: um, the ball movement, the spacing. Uh, the uh, the beautiful vision and awareness of Andre and Draymond, and the the lethal play of Steph and Clay, um, all in in one play. Curry surrounded finds Draymond Green, Green to the basket, kicks it out of Godala. Thompson for three, bang! Clay Thompson from downtown. It's a six point lead. Those were the guys who've been here in the five years, right? Yeah. Kevin took us over the top. You know, te Kevin you know, joined the team and we went from a championship team to an all-time team. Yeah. Right. And, and was, he just made us um, dominant and almost unbeatable. Uh, but if you look at the five, the full five-year run and you talk about the secret, um, you know, the, the chemistry, uh, whatever, however you want to describe it, that game sort of defined our team in my mind. And uh, it was, it was special. We'll never know. It's a what if, but um, I felt like that Toronto series. Even if Clay doesn't get hurt, like let's say let's give the Durant injury. Let's say that 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 happens, but Clay doesn't get hurt. I still feel like they would have had to like chop your heads off to actually win yeah. the title. Yeah. It was definitely like there was a Jason Voorhees <laughs> yeah. Friday Thirteenth kind yeah. of vibe going on, yeah. and Clay was out of his mind that game. That was, was the irony of it. It was such a fluke play where he got hurt. Too. Yeah, he was. That's the best I think I've ever seen him play. Um, you know, in, in that moment, the finals elimination game, uh, he was unconscious. He had a, a transition three where it was like one on three, and he just pulled up from thirty five right. feet, <laughs> and it was bottom. And the place is going crazy, and Clay is just prancing out there, like he bouncing around with confidence. And you know our whole thing was just you know let's just get it to seven let's let's win win this game and get it to seven. We've been here you know they have put some been heat here. on them put some heat on them, and uh, and I give them credit they closed the game and Kawhi was amazing and and uh, Toronto was they had a great team they had uh, I, I you know losing to them was um, it's one of those things sometimes you lose to a team you you get you're kind of pissed off you know I just. I kind of tip my hat because I, I to Toronto. They, they the ball movement, uh, the way they played, uh, that was a special group, and they they earned it and they deserved it. But I couldn't couldn't have been any more proud of our group um, after that series, even though we lost. It was funny how they took the personality of Kawhi too, where they were just kind of businesslike, which usually a team that hasn't won a title yet. I guess Gasol's won a lot of stuff, but. There was just a relentlessness to that team, right. kind of quiet. Yeah, and they just kind of kept coming, coming, coming. Yeah. And they had some guys that just caught fire at the right times. They did. Dan Vliet uh, was terrible the first two rounds of the playoffs. Right, right. The, by the end of the playoffs, looked like he was hitting Alan everybody. Iverson crossed with yeah <laughs> Steve Nash. <laughs> <laughs> but that's uh, you know you see it in every sport. You know you see a team that kind of builds momentum during the playoffs and 
and then all of a sudden something happens and you can't explain it. The Google Assistant is ready to help you get more done with just your voice, in the car, at home, and everywhere you take your phone. Hey, Google, how many three-point shots has J.J. Redick hit in his career? Here's what I've got for J.J. Redick, an all-time NBA total of 1,715 three-pointers. Wow. A little help hands-free. Just say, hey, Google, to get started. Hey, hiring can be a slow process. Cafe Altura's COO Dylan Miskowitz needed to hire a director of coffee for his organic coffee company, but he was having trouble finding qualified applicants. So he switched to ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. It's technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. So you get qualified candidates fast. Dylan posted his job on ZipRecruiter, said he was impressed by how quickly he had great candidates apply. I wasn't surprised. I've been talking about ZipRecruiter for year, years. Yeah, he also used ZipRecruiter's candidate rating feature to filter his applicants so he could focus on the most relevant ones. And that's how Dylan found his new director of coffee in just a few days with results like that. No wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes? My listeners can try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash B-O-B. That is ZipRecruiter.com slash B-O-B. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. You've had a fascinating journey here where not only are we on a successful college team, but you go into this Bulls situation and you play with an iconic Bulls team during the last three uh, title runs. Um, you go to the Duncan Spurs. You get to see how that happens. Then you're in Phoenix, you get to see Nash, who's like one of the great teammates of all time. And then you go through this whole Warriors thing where you have Curry, who's one of the great teammates of all time. And you've seen, so basically you have the Jordan path, which is like, I'm the greatest. You guys are all going to get in line. My competitiveness is going to raise you up. It's my way or the highway, but I'm going to be bringing it all the time. And you either can stay with me or you're going to fall off. And then you have the Duncan Curry model, which is, I'm the greatest teammate ever. I don't care about stats. I just want to win. Um, let's just all do this together. And both paths aren't, it's not like there's one right path, right? Um, which one was more interesting to be a part of, though? Um, <clears throat> well, I mean, playing with Michael Jordan is fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a lot. it was a lot easier to play with Tim Duncan. I, I, I remember I told Pop um, after we won the first, uh, no, the second championship in, the, in San Antonio in 03, I said, I said the, the difference between Michael and Tim is you always felt like you were playing with Tim, and there were times where you felt like you were playing for Michael. Right. You know, because you were scared to death of him. You know, yeah. he was, and, and he was the most dominant force on the floor in every regard, right? It wasn't just the talent. It was the force of will. I mean, people, opponents were defeated by Michael before they even walked on the floor. And so it was unbelievable to be on his team, uh, to be uh, his teammate, and to, you had to accept that responsibility. You knew he was uh, going to be harsh on you. You knew he's going to be tough on you. He's going to talk trash to everybody in practice, uh, test you. And his 
his reasoning was if you couldn't handle the, the trash talk in practice, there's no way you could handle uh, the pressure of the NBA playoffs. Yeah. It made perfect sense. Was he right? He was right. Yeah. Absolutely, he was right. And so, so you feel like he made you better? Yes. Your stats those first two years with him are ridiculous. He, oh, he made me way better. I mean, not only from the standpoint of the traditional great player drawing attention yeah. and, okay, they're going to double team him. I'm going to be open. That's the easy explanation. But it's more than that. It's, uh, it's don't be scared. It's like, you, you know, you got to compete. And I mean, that's probably the, the biggest thing I learned from him watching him was, um, like he was, he was just so fearless. He never shied away from the uh, the stigma that would come, you know, through failure, right? Um, and he understood fully that if he just went all out every single game um, and went for it on every single play, you know, his the positives would outweigh the negatives. But you just have to live with the failure. And at that point in my career, I just didn't want to be the goat. Yeah. I didn't want to be the guy who screwed up the the game. So my tendency was to shy away from the big shot and just, you know, not make a mistake. You know, I just didn't want to screw up. And so, you know, he, Michael, put so much pressure on everybody and you you just kind of realized, I got to step up and I got to take my game to another level. And you even felt that in practice. And it's different today. You just don't practice as hard as you did back then. It's just, you know, teams have actually gotten smarter and you don't yeah. wear guys out as much. But back then, you actually practiced every day and you competed. The level of our practices was insane, insane, and and it was because Michael set that tone, right? So, so playing with him was incredible and fascinating, but difficult, and that's that's the difference. Playing with Tim or, you know, uh, or you know, being Kurt, with Steph, being yeah. yeah, being with Steph, or uh, you know, watching Steve Nash handle the Suns in those years. Um, that's a totally different form of leadership and, and equally as powerful, but just totally different. What do you remember about losing to Orlando? Where Jordan, the one time you were with Jordan where he actually mm. failed. Yeah. And you had this young magic team. He, Jordan still has his baseball muscle. He's a little rusty. But also that Orlando team was a handful. And yeah. Shaq, yeah. you know, was probably the most dangerous center you guys ever played in a playoff series. But what do you remember about him losing? What I remember is that we nobody knew each other at that point. Yeah. Um, or nobody knew Michael, I should say. We all knew each other. We'd been together for a couple of years, that group. Because you had Kukoc is new or re- new for Michael. You're new for Michael. Right, right. Um, the, the guys who others. played with Michael were Scotty, B.J. Armstrong, uh, John that's, Paxson had retired. Yeah, that's uh, it. I think yeah, it was I just those two. It, those two. So Michael came back, and I almost felt like um, – he, his, his mind was, I can just come back and lead a team to a championship. I'll come back in mid-March and I'm so good that we're going to just, you know, win another title. And I felt like, um, it, it just didn't happen because we weren't really a team. We, we didn't know him and we hadn't played with him and we didn't really understand him and, and vice versa. And I think he understood that after we lost too. I think he realized now this is more difficult than than I thought. This is speculation on my part. And that was the summer of Space Jam. Yeah, he was, did the movie in L.A. and he he went to do the movie, but they built a basketball court. Remember that whole story? Yeah, they built a court on set, and all the NBA guys in L.A. would go 
to play pickup ball at the end of the day after he was done filming Space Jam. And when he came back to training camp the following year, it was the level of play from day one of camp was insane. Insane. And you're like, what's happening? Yes. It's like, and he was not, he was not going to lose, you know. And that was when we won 72. And we, you know, we, we sort of, we built the team. That's because that's what you do over the course of an NBA season. You know, you, you build the team and you grow and you learn about each other. And, and so that team grew together and we all kind of figured it out. And uh, we had the foundation that we lacked the year before when we lost to Orlando, when we, when he, you know, he showed up out of the blue in mid-March. I asked you when I did my book about the three levels of a champ, who, what's the one you want to be if you're talking about the highest possible ceiling and the, the ones where the team trying to win its first title, the team trying to get back its title or the team trying to defend its title. And we were talking about that last one is the FU, the FU team where you have the switch, you know, it's there. But sometimes you can get a little lazy, right? Like you had that in 97 where you're like, oh, we're the best. We can stomp these people whenever mm-hmm. we want. But then if you don't have the veterans in place, that right. can go sideways. Yeah. So you said in the book that the more dangerous team was the 96 team because you're fighting to get this thing back. Mm-hmm. Um, but now you just went through it again with the Warriors and – 2017, like, so do you change your answer or is it the same answer? No, same answer. The, the most fun group to be a part of is the one that hasn't won a championship. And there's a little bit of um, uh, uncertainty, like, can you win it? Yeah. You just don't know. And that uncertainty drives you every day. And so... Uh, you reach a milestone and you go, oh my God, this is amazing. This is so fun. We got to keep going. Yeah. And then you keep going. You know, like one of the most memorable games for me uh, as coach of the Warriors was the game we won against Houston to get to the finals in 15. Um, It was a home game and and we were up 10 with, you know, 30 seconds left. The game's over and, and I just soaked it in. I'm standing at half court. Oracle's going crazy. You know, our fans haven't seen a finals appearance for 40 years, but our players had never experienced the finals. And we're all looking at each other like, oh, my God, this is actually happening. Yeah. You know, compare that to a year ago when we won the conference finals in the West. It was like, what time's the first bus? Right. Uh, <laughs> 6.15? Yeah, I'll, I'll get on the second one. You know, like, it's just, it's so different. But that first time, that that climb that you're on is just incredible. The journey. The journey. But then, so the ceiling of a team, though. So you had the 2016 team defending the title. Yeah. But that's when you have the streak. That's when you win 73. Yeah. But then you kind of wear down at the end. But then you have the next season. Right. I would, like, what is a higher level? So the, the I, I actually think uh, the team that won 73 um, – and I think this, this in general, is, is the case. If you win a championship and you bring everybody back, you're a better team the following year. Yeah. Because now the uncertainty has gone. So you have – that is replaced by a, uh, a confidence that didn't exist the previous year. So now you have the confidence, but it's too early to rest on your laurels, and it's, it's so exciting still. So, you know, t- 2016 starts – 15, 16, we win 24 in a row. 
the guys are having the time of their lives. You watch any one of those games, the energy was off the charts. So I remember that Boston game. Double overtime. Draymond was just like, I'm not losing. Yeah. Yeah. And he was, I was like, wow, Draymond's actually probably a Hall of Famer. I yeah. didn't realize it until that game. Yeah, it was an incredible, incredible game. And, and uh, but that team um, I thought was way better than the 15 team. Way yeah. better. Because um, they had the confidence from actually yeah, knowing they're the had champs. the confidence and, uh, and the experience. And then, of course, you know, Cleveland beats us in the, in the finals and we don't get it done. And, and I guess that's why we, that's why we watch. That's why we play. You don't, you just don't know what's going to happen. But to me, the 16 team was way better than the 15 team. But in the 17 team was, that was the yeah, highest we, level you hit. Yeah. You had Kevin Durant to right. what we already had. Um, it's on, it was unfair. It really was, you know, and I understand now looking back, like if you're just an NBA fan and you're not cheering for anybody and you just want to see, you know, competitive basketball, I get it. You know, Kevin, Kevin Durant, uh, the most unstoppable offensive force in the league joined our team and our team was already damn good. Yeah. Um, and he even set a record. Um, it was as a coach, it was in- incredible, especially that first year because Kevin was so engaged and so excited to play this new style. And, uh, and we just rolled, we just rolled. It was, uh, it's a dominant. I thought that Cavs team was good. They're really good. I mean, really offensively, good. that team was really, really yeah. like all time loaded, and, and they just got dismantled. Do you ever think about what would happen if the cap doesn't spike up like that? You don't have the room to get KD. Yeah, you just bring back Harrison Barnes, right. and basically right. you keep the nucleus of that fifteen, sixteen, mm-hmm. whatever in place, and now that's just your team for the rest yeah. of the decade. Yeah, is it the same number of titles? Is it less? What happens? Um. Uh, that's a great question. Um, Harrison is is one of my favorite players that I've coached. Yeah. And um, one of my favorite people. He's just rock solid. And, and so we really missed him when he left. One of the things he provided was the ability. He was really the key to us playing small that first year. Yeah. If you remember, uh, Draymond, we'd put Draymond at the five because he could just play against anybody. But Harrison at the four had the strength to to guard people on the low block, but still run the run the wings, get out in transition, make a three. So Harrison unlocked a lot of those small lineups for us. And um, Kevin I, Kevin Kevin came in and replaced him. And obviously Kevin's a better player, uh, but Harrison um, allowed us to do a lot of the the stuff that we ended up doing with Kevin. I think you win too. I, th- I think you win the same number. Win another way. one. Yeah. 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 Um, so two th- you're, you're part of two things that are really interesting in this whole dynamic of when a team gets threatened. You go back to 94, Scotty gets mad they don't call the game-winning play for him and decides not to go back in. And that leads to Kukoc makes the game winner. This is the Knicks series. And you go in the locker room and Phil Jackson decides he's going to let the players handle it. He doesn't go in. And then everybody handles it. And Bill Cartwright famously is crying. He's Mm -hmm. so upset. He feels so betrayed by Scotty. This is your first year after Michael Jordan left, and you're going to do that to us. And that was kind of a moment that breaks the team, but it didn't seem like it broke you guys. No, it it made it it stronger. And that was part of Phil's genius. You know, he knew uh, when to turn the team over. 
to, to the players. To the players. And I remember he, he came in and he said, I'm going to go talk to the media. I have to do my job and I'm going to protect, uh, protect you, Scotty, as best I can. Uh, but Bill Carlright wants to say a couple words. And, and that's where internal leadership and veteran leadership is so important because, you know, Bill, Bill just laid it out there. He just said exactly what needed to be said, which was, you know, we, we do this together. We trust each other all year long, and it's about us. And all of a sudden, you lose that, that, that connection. Like, it just can't happen. And Bill, was, he was bawling. One of the most powerful moments I've ever experienced as a player or a coach. And Scotty was one of the great teammates I've ever had. It was just such a huge screw-up on his part. Yeah. It was a one-time deal, though. And that's what I, I, I hate when, that people think of that when they think of Scotty. Some, some people bring that up first. Like, yeah, I remember when Scotty didn't go back in the game because Scotty was an amazing teammate. He, you know, he was a guy who sort of kept us together when Michael was, you know, just you're just. I mean, he was an MVP candidate that year. Oh, you guys won phenomenal. like fifty three or fifty four. Oh, he was so so good as a player, but also a great teammate. And uh, but but Bill's Bill's talk, and then Scotty, to his credit, apologized that day and the next day, and and everybody loved Scotty so much. We all accepted his apology, and and we we just moved on, and it was fine. My whole thing about him in my book was all about like fuck you if you're gonna judge him by that one thing. Yeah. Like this guy was like this guy played I mean in the ninety eight finals, he can't even move. Yeah. He's in that game six, that Utah game with his back is so bad, like he can't bend over. That's right. And he's I don't know. I just think that guy I have him I still think he's a top thirty all time guy. And I think him and Kawhi, I think are the two best defensive players I've ever seen in my life at that position. Yeah. Yeah. I uh I'm partial after I know you're approached, partial. Uh, uh, well, playing playing with Scotty and then coaching Andre Godala. I think Andre yeah. is uh, is at that level. Too. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's uh, and I'm. You know, I I caught Andre really in the last five years of his career, but he reminded me so much of Scotty. Wow. In terms of the intelligence and the awareness of of all five spots and kind of controlling the action. Um, especially away from the ball, like blowing stuff up very subtly. And, uh, but Andre reminded me a lot of Scotty and, uh, and yeah, Scotty was, um, he was the best defensive player that I, I played with for sure. Um, so that was one thing. The second thing happened last year with the Warriors and I went to the game, the Clippers game, Draymond and KD getting argument on the court and it gets super intense in the huddle. And it actually seemed like they were going to, like yeah. start shoving each other on the court. And I, I knew it was going on because I was watching it in the huddle and I could see something bad was happening. Mm-hmm. And then it goes, you finish the game, you lose in overtime. Now you're in the Phil Jackson spot. Yeah. So it's like, so how do, do you, were you thinking like, oh, this is like the Pippin thing. Should I let the players handle this or do you get involved? Well, it's different than the, than the, uh, the Pippin thing because um, th- this was two guys who were, uh, you know, about ready to fight. Yeah. And so it was more a case of, uh, you know, we're going to have to handle this. We're going to have to let everything simmer and then handle it later. And so we. So you just, your goal is to get them away yeah, from each like, other. Yeah, like, let's just, let's get out of here. Let's get on the plane, go home and sort through it. Uh, so we got out of there pretty quickly. I think I addressed it. Um, um, but, 
but we didn't, you know, everybody, there, there was so much raw emotion in the, in the locker room. We couldn't, uh, we couldn't, we weren't going to resolve anything that night for sure. And, um, that was, uh, the beginning. Actually, it wasn't even the beginning. It was probably, uh, more a result of what we had started to feel late the season before, um, where the team was starting to drift a little bit. We were losing some of that connection. And then, um, it you know kind of continued into into camp in the early part of the season. There was just sort of an unspoken tension that was there that uh, that Draymond couldn't couldn't deal with it, and he just snapped, and it, it opened up a, a pretty pretty big wound. Let's talk about Pepsi. We're switching leagues here for a second. They take all NFL celebrations to the next level, whether it's a hail mary touchdown, a defensive stop on the goal line, or a Super Bowl win. When it's time to celebrate, it's time to crack open a Pepsi. I always remember my favorite NFL celebration ever was Billy White Shoes Johnson jiggling his legs back and forth after he scored a touchdown, holding the football up. I'd never seen anything like it in my life. I used to love watching the uh, old football games and hoping that he scored a touchdown and somebody would cut in and they would show me a video of that. When you're talking about the great NBA celebrations, um, man, I think my favorite one ever is probably the Mary Ellie, the, uh, the kiss, which finished off the 94, uh, the 94 sons because it became the kiss. Anytime you do a celebration that they name the game after you, that's where you want to be. We, we might have to do the kiss as a rewatchable at some point in the book of basketball. Anyway, gotta love celebrations when they work out and when you can remember them for the rest of your life. Pepsi, the official sponsor of the NFL reminds you to always be celebrating. With FanDuel Fantasy Basketball, you could take advantage of one of the best things about being an NBA fan, just hanging out, watching hoops, monitoring box scores, and just rooting for your guys. You don't have to just root for your team. Root for your guys. FanDuel has more ways to win cash prizes and once-in-a-lifetime experiences during every single NBA game than you can possibly imagine. You're looking at that, uh, that Miami Heat game that's happening, and you're going... Ah, I bet Jimmy Butler, I bet he's going to light up Philly. little revenge game for him tonight. I wonder what his salary is. Go in, put Jimmy Butler on your team. You can use your NBA knowledge and know-how to guess how guys are going to do from night to night. You can, you can last second, oh, this guy got injured. I bet his backup's going to come in. Whatever you want. This is all about you and how much you know about the NBA. You can win potentially millions of dollars. You can have all these different ways to win on fan, FanDuel, no matter how you like to play tournaments, beat the score, single game, mini, labs, whatever you want to do. Get in on the action anywhere you want. Sign up for FanDuel now. Get a $5 bonus with your first deposit. Again, just as little as $5 to get started. You'll get an extra $5 in site credit. Go to FanDuel.com backslash Simmons or download the FanDuel app. FanDuel, the official partner of the NBA. So Draymond, this whole time, he feels like he's one of the leaders of the team. And he feels like this guy has one foot out the door, even though they just won two straight titles. Right. And it's just bothering him and bothering him. As a coach, you're like, at some point, this is going to come out or this is going to bubble. Yeah, yeah. And and as a coach, you know, you want to make sure each each guy is okay and each yeah. guy is ready to move forward. And, and so... 
um, you know, the way you have to handle that is you you meet individually with with um, with players all the time anyway, and then you try to you try to sort through it. One thing, you know, I've I've now coached Draymond. This is my sixth year coaching the Warriors now, and um, so Draymond and I know each other really well. Um, he needs some conflict to motivate himself. Yeah, and I, and I embrace that. Um, and he and I have gotten into it every single year, multiple times, <laughs> and it's okay because that's what that's right. you know he needs the conflict to to get motivated, to get energized. Uh, in this particular case, uh, with Kevin, it was too much. Um, and it's something that happened on national TV. And now, now you open up the, 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 the whole world to, you've invited the whole world to scrutinize your team. And, and so now there's so many distractions, uh, that it becomes really difficult to deal with. This had happened at a practice, you know, you can, you can cover it up. And uh, actually, we had several things over the over the past few years that have happened that uh, never made it out, that, and we're very proud of that. Yeah. Uh, but this thing, uh, because it was so public, uh, became a, a season long story. You know, anytime we hit any rough patch, there was a reference to that night in L.A. early in the season, and is that still an impact? And it's just a question you have to keep asking or answering to the media, and it, it's it becomes a distraction, and and so it it followed us around. Um, but uh, it was kind of the theme of last year. It really was. We just had a lot of that. It was also a very modern last decade problem for the team dynamic where I just, this never happened before really the decision with LeBron where you have people, con people like me on a podcast <laughs> constantly speculating on what's going to happen. Where's this guy going? You think they'll stay together? Is he going to go here? Is this his last year? Maybe they'll trade him. And that's just become part of what's made basketball, I think, blow up as a 12-month-a-year sport now. When when we started Grantland in 2011, basketball was an eight-month sport. And the yeah. NFL was a 12-month sport. We never, it was never a situation where the season has ended. Now we got the draft. Now we have free agency. Now it's now we get July. Yeah. And then it's training yeah. camp. And it just goes on and on and on. And people are always wondering what's going to happen here, what's going to happen there. And I do feel like your team really took the brunt of that. But I don't, yeah. I think it's the first of what will happen now going forward. Like yeah. if the Lakers, I know you can't talk about other teams, but if that starts off badly, people will start talking about it. Oh, maybe Davis won't stay and then they'll do that whole dance. Right, right. Well, um, that's just how we do it now. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the interesting dynamic is how, how all these pieces fit together, right? You know, LeBron leaving Cleveland for Miami kind of established a precedent for superstar players. Like, okay, you can actually leave. And, yeah. and actually, that was a great move for LeBron, right? I Everyone agree. crushed him at the time. And, and yet, oh, yeah, now, now you can look at it and go, well, that was, that was really smart. You know, he, he, that was a really important time in his career, right? But combine that fact, right, the superstar players now willing to, to move in free agency, combine that with the, the dollar amounts we're talking about. Um, for in contracts with social media, combine all that and you mix it up into a into a stew, and that's what you have right now, and it, which is wildly entertaining, right? It it, it fills uh, so many different uh, categories of uh, entertainment. So for people to follow on 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 social media or watch it on TV, whatever, you got superstars playing, and you've got uh, you got uh, drama that happens 
on court. You have guys moving. Uh, but the reason it's happened is because the money now is so big that the top 10 guys can afford to just sign a one and one. Right. They don't need the security the long term. Right. They used to sign think, the five-year deal, not anymore. It does feel a little generational to me too. And it, this, some, when I did the podcast with Adam Silver, and he was talking about how he was worried about his players, that there was an unhappiness with his players because they're alone a lot and they're online a lot and things like that. And I don't know. Is Could that be part of just what we're going to see going forward? Is these this grass is always greener somewhere right. else kind of mentality? Because like, you know, if if we did this with our wives, we'd get married 10 times. Yeah, we'd all be divorced. We'd be like, oh, my wife was mean to me. Today. I don't know. Maybe yeah. the neighbor's starting to look <laughs> right. pretty good. Right. <laughs> but that's kind of what the NBA is becoming, where it's like, oh, if you don't do right by me all the time, right. I might just leave. And this is really important because now you put it in the context of team building and the secret. And, yeah. you know, the, the whole reason we're we're having this discussion is, you know, what makes great teams and historic teams. And is it going to be possible to to really see the beauty of a basketball team that's built something over five, six years and grown together? And now you, as a fan, you're attached, right? You're attached to, to this group. You've watched them grow. And it's like, oh, my God, this is our year. And and then another heartbreak. And, all right, we got it. You know, next year we're going to do it. And what if all that goes away and guys are just bouncing around and you don't end up with these – you know, team stories of the rise and fall of a team over five, seven years. It's just from one year to the next. It's like fantasy basketball. Yeah, but what scares me is I think people under 30 might just care about the player more than the team. This might not even be on the radar. Right. They're like, well, I don't care. I just want to follow LeBron. He's on the Lakers now. So maybe the, the Lakers are my new favorite team. So maybe the business will thrive regardless. Of, I feel uh, like it will. This is, it's like the daily fantasy Tinder era that we're in now, where it's just like, swipe right. Uh, KD's on Brooklyn now. I guess I'm rooting for Brooklyn. But, you know, I, what you lose is games like the game that you said was your favorite game you ever coached, yeah. game six at yeah. Houston. Yeah. That just doesn't happen anymore. That's, um, that's the question. And that's, and that's the important question, I think, because, you know, if this were art, you know, if, and it is, basketball is art, it's a form of art. Um, the art's getting worse, right? We're not reaching that the peak of what the sport can offer. And if if that happens and it just becomes about the tabloid headline, then we're not, it's not about the art anymore. Right? Well, you had a quote that, of course, everybody missed but me. I thought was really smart. After the world championships, which were unsatisfying, sixth place for the USA, team we get through together, Spain wins. Seventh, actually, but who seventh. Yeah. <laughs> and you talked about Spain. Spain was like 25 to one underdogs. If you looked at the rosters, there's no way Spain had more talent than America. Those guys have been playing together for 10, 12 years. Mm -hmm. Gasol had been the focal point of everything they had done internationally yeah. since like 2008. And he'd been playing with these guys and had known them since he was 12. Yeah. It was just beautiful watch. Those guys have been together for a long, long time. And Guess what? That still matters. Well, and Australia should have beaten Spain in the semis. You know, yeah. They had a 10-point lead the whole game. They ended up losing in overtime. They sh really should have won. Another team that's been together for I, 10 years. I mean, think about it. Mills, Ingles, Bogut, yeah. Baines, and I'm missing something. And Delhi. Yeah. Right? They've now played together, I think, um, at least in the last two Olympics. Some of them, Bogut, I think, has played in three Olympics. 
they were, you know, I, I was scouting. They were my team to scout this past summer. Um, you know, as an assistant coach, you're assigned certain teams to scout. And they were running the same out-of-bounds plays this summer that they were running in the 16 Olympics. Right. And they're getting dunks for Bogut <laughs> on these slips. It's beautiful <laughs> to watch. And I'm thinking, we just put our out-of-bounds plays in two days ago. These guys just met four weeks ago. Yeah. We've, they just met. Or we're ju we just put in a new out-of-bounds play. They're running the same out-of-bounds play from the 16 Olympics. And well, this is a big part of the game. This big part of the sport is that familiarity with each other. And and that's why um, it was it was tough for us this year, you know, uh, this this summer. We just didn't have that, that continuity. I mean, the two ways to build a team now is you have the continuity or you basically do what Toronto did and you have the one great player. And then basically everybody else they had on the floor could create his own shot. You know, you look at their top seven, all guys that in the last five seconds of a shot clock at least could do something, potentially shoot threes. Spacing was good. They could switch on D, all that stuff. Those are really the only two ways you're going to win a title anymore, I feel like. Well, the Clippers, you know, what they're trying to do actually it mirrors Toronto pretty closely. Yes. I love what the Clippers did the last two, three years. Um, before they got Kawhi, yep. you know, they just, they built something, they built a foundation. So you think of Toronto before Kawhi got there, you know, they, they had, they had a really nice group, you know, um, they, they had, uh, the, the young guys like Siakam and Ananobi and, and Van yep. Vliet, they had the veteran presence of, of Lowry, they had to trade, uh, DeRozan obviously to get, um, Kawhi, but then they add Gasol and so you got all these secondary playmakers and passers. But they had they had something concrete before they got Kawhi, True. and that's the key for the Clippers. You know, we saw them in the first round last year. You know, between Lou Williams and Beverly and uh, and Harrell and uh, you yeah, know, they gave you guys problems. They gave us times. a fits. They beat us twice, and they were they were a connected team, and you could see how much fun they were having. So they're on the rise. They're going to have a really fun year. I mean, on the rise, and now they add uh, Paul George and. And Kawhi, so they've done it the right way, and and I think that's the key. You can't just expect to sign a superstar if you haven't built anything in the first place. True, it's a good point. Build something. I remember when uh, I'd love to get Riley on this podcast at some point because he said something that I was so fascinated by. 2014, right before LeBron left for Cleveland, and Riley gave that press conference like three days before LeBron decided he was going to leave. I don't remember what what did he say. He basically. He does this whole speech about, at that point, he doesn't know LeBron's going to leave yet, but he probably has an inkling. And he's just like, I told these guys, this is hard. You're not supposed to win every year. We went through this with the Lakers. We, you know, we went through an 83, we went through an 84, like, yeah, you're not going to win the title every year. It's how you deal with it and fight back and that's when you become a team. That's right. And you you can feel him talking to LeBron in this press conference. Just be like, dude, yeah, we yeah. lost. It's fine. Come back. We'll yeah, get it back. And yeah. The Spurs in 17 years, you know, won five titles. So you add it up. What's the math there? You know, they lost 12 times. <laughs> this stuff is hard. And... You got to stay together if you got the guts and you don't find the first door and run out of it <laughs> if you have an opportunity. Uh, this is four years now into uh, 
this era, this team, four finals. It's only been done three other times before. And two championships from day one to the end, it was like a Broadway show. You know, it sort of run out of steam. And we need to retool. We don't need to rebuild. We need to retool. And that's what we're going to do. But LeBron left. And I felt like that was, I don't know, maybe a tipping point in some ways for this league where, I mean, look, like Curry's a warrior for life. I don't see him right. ever leaving. I think he might be the last one. Yeah. But you see these other situations. Clay too. And Clay, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think other situations, I wonder, when the going gets tough, do people want to stick it out anymore right, like that? Right, and 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 you think about that in terms of uh, teams and following teams like the Detroit, you know, that the Pistons team that won back-to-back, the bad boys. Think of their climb and the heartbreak involved in their climb. They right? two of the worst losses oh, of all time. Oh, the 87 bird, bird still. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. Isaiah sprains his ankle when they're about to win the title. That's right. That's right. So what you know, what a uh, roller coaster for their fans and for their players, but this feeling of satisfaction when they finally broke through. But the Bulls then kind of had the same path. They yeah. couldn't get through the Pistons. And then they finally beat him in that famous game where the Pistons all walked off the floor before it ended. Remember that one? Yeah. And so it, it seems like there was more of that before where you had teams trying to climb the mountain and taking it a step at a time. And you're not seeing as much of that anymore because of the player movement, especially the superstar movement. And you're, you're, you, it's more fleeting. So you might win a title and, and bam, you might, that, you know, that might. Or you have a situation like OKC where, they came so close to beating you guys in 2016, and then you turned it on them. And then that's it. The team ends. Right. And right. It that's just, a great example. You know, think about where they started from and then what they did, like sequentially, you know, making the playoffs for the first time. And I think that was the year they lost to the Lakers. Lakers are the one 2010, seed. yeah. Great playoff yep. series. And then over the next four years, they kept, you know, doing one round better and one round better. And, and that team was incredible to watch over over a period of time, and uh, that I is something. If, I, enjoy. I wonder if a team like Denver could end up being like that, where Denver yeah. had like, you know, last year was their true getting the feet wet right. season. They have Jokic, they have Murray. You know, you're probably gonna have those two guys for a while. Yeah. Can you build around them? Yeah. But I mean, that would be the model of the old school model. Right. But maybe that model's gone. Could be because the, the old school models always included a couple superstars on each team. Yeah. You know, because you, you need a top seven guy. You have to. You have to. And and uh, if the superstars are moving, then you're gonna, you're not going to see the old model as often. It's just gonna it's gonna be more more fleeting. I'm gonna read you a couple quotes. Bill Bradley. A team championship exposes the limits of self reliance, selfishness, and irresponsibility. You agree with that? That's awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. The success of the group assures the success of the individual, but not the other way around. One man alone can't make it happen. In fact, the contrary is true. A single man can prevent it from happening. Is that Bill Bradley? This also? is from Life of the Run. Yeah. yeah. These are all quotes from him. Yeah. Um, and then he says, the human closeness of a basketball team cannot be reconstructed on a larger scale. Do you think that's still the case now? I mean, this is, he's writing this. Read the last part again. The human closeness of a basketball team cannot be reconstructed on a larger scale. 
this is the seventies when they're all flying coach and hanging yeah, out together yeah. and borrowing cigarettes from each other. I think now it's so you guys, everyone has their headphones on and you're going from yeah. charter to charter, suite to suite. But do you feel like that the closest of a basketball team is different than any yeah. other possible team? Yeah. I still feel the same way. Um, and even with, um, you know, modern uh, travel and technology and all that stuff, it's, there's still nothing like the locker room. And to this day, you ask anybody who recently retired, what do they miss? They miss the trash talk. They miss the bus yeah. rides. And, and uh, is there something so unique? And, and basketball, I think, is more unique than baseball or football because it's, it's, you know, 15, it's 12 to 15 guys. So everybody really knows each other well. Yeah. You know, whereas baseball, 25 guys, football, whatever, 60. Um, so I'm, I'm sure it's, it's much harder to get to know everybody individually, but uh, basketball, man, you you get to know everybody intimately, and and there, it's I can't imagine of being part of anything else where you would get closer to people, and that's one of the appeals to coaching to me. I really enjoy that part of it. You certainly lasted longer as a coach than I thought you would. <laughs> so, I thought you would be four years and out back and on back TV. To, back to yeah. TV. That's, like, a, that's a pretty good really life. Good. That's a pretty good life. I would have said I would have said the overrunner was four years. Well, I'll tell you what, I, you know, my, my, I love doing TV. I did eight years for you TNT. Were great. Thank you. Thank you. It was, it was really fun, but it was also a time of my life with my kids growing up where I really wanted to be home. And I was, I was able to be at home a lot more. But, yeah. Uh, now my kids are all out of college. Yeah. What else are you doing? It's like, I don't know. I, I, you know, I, I enjoy coaching. It's fun, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's just, you know, you just uh, you do it for as long as you can. Maybe you'll be like Bill Fitch or Gene Shue. You'd be in your seventies, <laughs> bouncing around. Do it forever. <laughs> Bill Russell quote: "I always thought that the most important measure of how good a game I'd played was how much better I'd made my teammates play." Do you think players still think that way? Well, or Bill Russell was just a unicorn. I I, t I think to say that you have to be so good, like. You know, I, 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 can you imagine me saying that? Right. Like, you, like, what the fuck is Steve Kerr talking about? What an right. idiot. What a, what a prima donna. You have to be, you have to be the dominant player on the floor to say that. And Bill Russell absolutely was the most dominant player on the floor. And, and I'm sure that's exactly how he felt. I think that's genuine. Bill Walton used to speak the same way. Bill Bradley says, I believe that basketball, when a certain level of unselfish team play is realized, can serve as a kind of metaphor for ultimate cooperation. Statistics can never explain the remarkable interaction that takes place on a successful pro team. And yet we live in a world now, statistics have gone off the deep end. Right. Everyone is measured by statistics yeah. constantly. Our statistics have gotten better. Now we have offensive rating, stuff you look at. Um, although you're old school though, you look at the box score, you look at what is it? Turnovers, assists, turnovers and, and assists and rebounds. I look at the possession battle yeah. who, who ended up getting more possessions, but, um, statistics like does Steph Curry care how many points he scores in a game? Yeah. 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 We all do. Okay. Yeah. I think we all do. I think you have to be, you know, maybe Bill Russell and Bill Walton didn't, but you have to be so damn good to not really care. And usually if, if you don't care about 
points, like Dennis Rodman. Dennis Rodman didn't care about how many points he got, but he sure as hell cared about how many right. rebounds he got. Yeah, to the detriment of his team at times. Right. Sometimes he'd pass up a layup right. and throw it back out. And it was almost like he, what he really wanted more than anything was 21 rebounds, two points, one for one. Like right. it was such a unique box score that that was his own, in a way, selfishness. You know, like we're all human. We're all selfish. I, you know, I always knew exactly how many points I had. You know, most most players know exactly how many they have. And now it's on the board. You can just look up and see how many points you have. Russell said, it's much harder to keep a championship than to win one. Once you've won once, some of the key figures are likely to grow dissatisfied with the role they play. So it's harder to keep the team focused on doing what it takes to win. Pat Riley called this the disease of more. I think it's the disease of me. You and I have talked about. Oh yeah, this whatever before. it is. Yeah, disease of me. Yeah, yeah. I think it's the disease of whatever me. he said. Yeah, right, disease good. of more, we'll, disease of me. All right, we'll settle on the disease. Yeah, disease of I me. like disease of me. All right, good. So, did you? Could you feel that at all after the seventeen title? Because um, or the fifteen title? Like, I think it's just another way of expressing exactly what happened to us. You yeah. Know? Um, and and it's not you know I, I it, it wasn't so much selfishness. It's just. What else is there, right? It's like what like, this isn't quite doing it for me, so I got to move on. And maybe there's a different challenge out there, and or you know this it's, I, I'm not feeling the joy and the excitement of the climb anymore. And and so yes, I agree with that uh, totally. I have to ask about Curry before we go. Um, so he bring this is his team. He's a back to back MVP. Um, he's just come off 73 wins and he's come off one of the greatest statistical seasons ever, but seemed really, really fired up to add Kevin Durant, who is probably a better all-around offensive player. I don't know if you can debate the merits of them statistically or whatever, but it's certainly one of the best um, scorers we've ever had. I would say he's the most complete basketball player offensively we've had this decade since LeBron. Um, and yet Curry didn't care. He just wanted to win. That's not normal. I feel like maybe Duncan would, would sign up for that. And that's probably about it for like, I'm going to bring this new guy in. He actually might be better than me, but I just want to win. This is cool. What was, when you heard this was in motion, what was your reaction to that? Uh, no surprise whatsoever. Yeah. Steph, um, because Steph is so secure in his own skin. And um, he's the same person every day. And we had just lost in the finals where you know, Cleveland did an, an unbelievable job of, of defending him in the final few minutes of, of games, uh, you know, six and seven or five, six and seven. And we just, you know, game, game seven, we, I think we scored 89 points or something. You know, we didn't even. It's a, it's a rough last six minutes to watch. It is. It's rough. And, it's pretty uh, ugly. And that's the difference between 6'11", or 7 feet, whatever Kevin is, and 6'3". I mean, it's just as skilled as Steph is, you know, he can't just get a shot like Kevin does. Kevin can just get a shot, it, it, to me, like nobody ever has in the history of the game. I agree. he's just so athletic and so big. And the way he shoots from so far above his head, you, you literally cannot challenge his shot. So no matter what the defense does, he can always get a good shot off. And Steph knew that, and he, Steph wanted to win. And so it didn't surprise me at all that he, he was going to recruit Kevin. And then you have the clay part of it, where Clay's 
this, you know, he's the number two scorer on the team. Yeah. He gets all shots. You go look at the 2017 playoff stats. He's 15 points a game. He was 22 in the regular season. Like he dropped seven points a game, yeah. but it was the right move because the points go toward yeah. Curry and, uh, and KD, but he's kind of ends up being in that Chris Bosh yeah. role in Miami. Um, and Draymond is there to some degree too, but I compared it to the bassist in a band writing about Chris Bosh once. Where the guy's just like, look, yeah, man, there he is. in the album cover, I'm just going to be a little bit back. Right. I'm going to have right. a big smile on my face. Yep. Yep. And that's just the way it's going to go. Yeah. Yeah. Clay, but most people can't come to grips with that. Yeah, but those yeah. two guys did. Well, that's, that's what I say about our team. What was so unique. Everyone knows that the talent level was, you know, uh, just off the charts. But it wasn't just the talent. It was the talent and the way the talent fit together, both on and off the floor. So, you know, you had, you had four All-Stars plus Andre Iguodala, kind of, you know, the fifth yeah. fifth guy in the small lineup. But all totally different, right? You know, Steph, Clay, Kevin, Draymond Green, Andre Iguodala, all completely different types of players. And yet all five totally unselfish, right? So they all complemented one another, and, and none of them really cared about uh, who got the credit. So you you combine those those factors, and that's why that's why that team was historic and and uh, when healthy unbeatable. I actually think there's I need some distance with that team to really properly evaluate it, but I think you can make a case it was probably the greatest team. I always thought it was the '86 Celtics. Now the three point line has yeah it's completely changed. I don't even know what to how to even compare eras anymore, but. Um, but you look at the resume, the stats, the win-loss record, where you're basically like 83 and uh, 16. Yeah. It's about yeah. as good as you're going to do yeah. in a 100-game mark. And then how good KD and Curry were in having these two guys that at any point could go for 40 and then defensively. And yeah. I'm just not sure we're going to do better than that. And it really happened because of a complete fluke with the cap. I'm glad if you the cap doesn't jump yeah, that yeah. one year, it never happens. Total fluke, and it wouldn't happen. But I am glad you brought up the defense because that's, um, you know, that that's been probably the most underrated uh, variable, or not variable, the underrated uh, asset of our team over the last five years. Yeah, the defense, uh, it was top five defense for uh, most of the five-year run. Last year, we slipped, I think, more out of boredom than anything. But when they when they wanted to turn it on, they could turn it on. Well, you go watch some of the Rocket playoff games. Yeah. It wasn't just Rockets missing shots. Yeah. I mean, you kind of went – game seven, obviously, they went cold. But for the most part, you could get stops against them when you modern And the modern-day defense switching uh, with, with size so that you're not giving up anything on the block. Basically, the same thing the Rockets have built, you know, yeah. in, a, in a switching defense. Um, but the way that would translate to offense with the speed of our transition, um, that that was just um, devastating and uh, what a combination. So I'm lucky to have coached, coached the group, and it was, uh, it was amazing while it lasted. So what happens now? So you played with the Bulls. You played with the Spurs. You won how many titles are you up to? You have eight rings now? Eight, yeah. Uh, eight three rings. with the Bulls, two with the Spurs, three with the Warriors. I mean, you could be good at this point. <laughs> this <laughs> That's is, it. It's this, a wrap. It could be good. You, but something keeps you going, though. I'm out of here. No, you, something keeps you going. It's not just the salary. 
I, I just enjoy it. You know, it's, I mean, it's like anything else. I think if you, uh, if you wake up and you're excited to do something every day, you just do it. And if you're lucky enough to be able to do it, um, I'll tell you a quick story. This, this is a good story. We, uh, we, we saw Roger Federer in Shanghai last uh, two years ago. The Warriors are in town for the, the NBA games in, in China. And Roger Federer is there for the Shanghai Masters tennis tournament. And we, we heard about it. We invited him to come to our locker room, and he came in. And so he talked to the group and asked, answered some questions. And Draymond Green asked him, how do you keep up? this incredible winning at your age after doing it for 20 years. You know, we're trying to do it for like three years. Right. How do you do this? And his answer, it was, a, it was just awesome. It was the purest thing ever. He said, he said, I just, I wake up every day and I have breakfast with my four kids and then I take them to school and then I go practice tennis for about two hours, which I love because I love playing tennis. And then I come home and then I get the kids and then we have dinner with the family and my wife and me. And then, you know, if I have to travel, then I, then I go travel. But at the end of every day, I put my head on the pillow and I go, man, that was fun. What a great day. Because that's what keeps me going. That's all. It's not like I want to get 22 masters or 22 majors and, and, you know, or however, I don't know how many majors he has now. It's 20 something. I think, you know, it's not, I want to break Rod Laver's record or John McEnroe's or I, I want to do this or that. It's just, Man, I, I have fun every single day. So it's a, today was a good day. I'm going to keep doing that tomorrow. It's a pretty good answer. It's pretty good advice. Pretty good advice. So Phil Jackson has 10 rings. You got two to catch him, just in case you want to sleep on your pillow tonight. And think the about only that. reason I'm coaching Bill Simmons. <laughs> got to catch Phil. Steve Kerr, this is a pleasure. Thanks for doing <laughs> All this. All right. Thanks a lot. That was fun. Thanks to State Farm. Remember, just like basketball, the game of life is unpredictable. Talk to a State Farm agent today about combining your home and auto insurance and get a teammate who can help you navigate the unexpected State Farm. Thanks to Pepsi. Switching sports. Remember, Pepsi takes all NFL celebrations to the next level, whether it's a Hail Mary touchdown, a defensive stop on the goal line, or a Super Bowl win. When it's time to celebrate, it's time to crack open a Pepsi. Whether you're, whatever you're doing, basketball, football, any sport, if you do well, celebrate. I'm celebrating right now. This podcast is going great. Pepsi, the official sponsor of the NFL, reminds you to always be celebrating.